You are listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Our topics can include, but are not limited to, murder, sexual assault, graphic and gruesome details, and more. These topics are adult in nature and are not meant for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. As someone who has attended church for much of his life, and someone that was indoctrinated with the beliefs and the rules that come along with going to church, I've seen many a marriage over my years start, finish, and face a lot of tumultuous times because two people starting a life together becomes completely inundated with information and guidelines by everyone from every corner. You're told how to date, who to date, what to do and what not to do, and you are constantly asked when the wedding is coming even when the relationship is in its infancy. This week, we're going to look at a case where all of that certainly at least weighed in a little bit, and we may never know just how much Christian beliefs and Christian doctrine may have gotten into a new wife's head to cause the ultimately devastating death of her husband and the need to try to cover up everything that she had done. Hello, my name is Lance, and welcome to episode 109 of Gone But Never Forgotten, Married for Eight Days Before Murder, The Murder of Cody Johnson. Jordan Lynn Graham was born in August of 1991, and she lived with her family in Kalispell, Montana, which is located in the northwest of Montana and not far at all from Glacier National Park. Kalispell is a small town that is located in what many regard as one of the most beautiful and scenic areas of North America, let alone the United States. Growing up, Jordan was a steadfast member of her church, Faith Baptist Church, and she could always be found at the church in some capacity, always attending Sunday services and special events, barely missing anything that was ever put on by the church. Faith Baptist Church was central to her life, as were her Christian beliefs, and as such, she did not date a lot, and she dreamed of a day when she would meet the man of her dreams. She wanted him to sweep her off her feet, and she wanted to start a family and become a stay-at-home mom. On Halloween of 2011, she seemingly started to have all of those dreams come true when she met Cody Johnson. Cody was an outgoing man who was a few years older than she was. Cody loved cars and had come to Montana from California. 
The other thing that Cody seemed to love was Jordan, right from the very beginning. Cody would join Faith Baptist Church, and he quickly made friends because of his outgoing nature, and he wound up becoming friends with almost everyone that was in Jordan's inner circle. From the very beginning, friends of both Cody and Jordan said that Cody was absolutely smitten with Jordan, and that he would do anything for her. He had longed himself to find a Christian girl that shared his values, and that he could also settle down and have a family with. He believed that he had found all of that in Jordan. Before they had known each other for too long, before the end of 2011, the two started to date, and then as many Christian relationships do, things started to move quickly. In December of 2012, basically a year after the two had started dating, Jordan would post to Instagram and announce that the two were engaged to be married. She shared a photo of her hand with a ring on it, and she said, quote, He proposed, best early Christmas present ever, smiley face, unquote. And so Jordan and Cody started to work on putting together the most magical and memorable wedding that either of them could imagine. And even as a part of that, the two hired professional songwriter Elizabeth Shea to create and compose a song just for their wedding and just about their story. Elizabeth has made a career out of arranging music with a Christian meaning for couples who are getting married. Elizabeth would later say that when she was working with Jordan on the song, Jordan would light up at the topic of Cody, and she said that Jordan seemed very excited for the wedding and very ready to make the next steps in her life with Cody. As we're about to talk about, some of the lyrics would become incredibly ironic and dark and haunting after everything that is to come. A verse of the song went like this, quote, Everyone wants a safe place to fall, and you're mine. You helped me to climb higher for a better view. You're my safe place to fall. You never let me go. Unquote. All of the planning and excitement would come to a head on June 29th of 2013, less than two years after the two had first met. Immediately at the wedding, friends seemed to notice a change in Jordan, and they said that over the time that they had known one another, Cody had always seemed to be the doting and loving boyfriend, and it was evident that he was completely smitten with Jordan. Friends did say that Cody was always seemingly more into Jordan than Jordan was into Cody, but that it was clear that the couple was indeed in love. On the wedding day, however, Jordan would have cold feet. She seemed to be crying too much on her way down the aisle, and overall she seemed as though she did not necessarily want to be at her own wedding. Friends said, too, that the day after the wedding, Jordan had texted around and said that she had a complete meltdown and that she believed that she had made a massive mistake getting married. She texted one friend, quote, what the heck did I do this all for? Unquote. 
Of course, as anyone knows, when they have a friend that gets married, there always seems to be some level of cold feet either before or after the wedding, and Jordan's friends thought that this was much of the same, and so they brushed it off and told Jordan that things would level out over time. Unfortunately, though, in this case, things were not going to level out. On July 8th, just eight days after Jordan and Cody got married, Cody would be reported missing, but he was not reported missing by his wife, Jordan. Instead, he was reported missing by his friend and boss, Cameron Fredrickson. When Cody didn't show up for work on the 8th, Cameron said that he drove to Cody and Jordan's house and then reported him as missing, but when he went to the home, nobody was home. As one can imagine, investigators were immediately taken aback by the fact that Jordan had not reported her husband as missing. When investigators reached out to Jordan on July 9th, they asked her to do an interview, and she complied. She would tell police that Cody and herself had attended dinner with friends on July 7th, and that along the drive home, Cody had received a phone call, and that phone call had upset him. Jordan said that when they arrived home, she noticed that her phone was dying and she needed to go get her phone charger, which she had left somewhere else. Jordan said that she drove from the house just after 9.45pm and that she had received a text message from Cody saying that he was going for a drive with a friend who was in town from out of town. When she arrived back at home, she said that she saw a dark-colored car pulling out of the driveway, and she was sure that Cody was in the car. She also told investigators that she was unable to show them the text message exchange because she and Cody routinely deleted all of their text messages. How convenient. On July 10th, A friend of Cody and Jordan would come forward to investigators and say that Jordan had mentioned at church that Cody had fallen off a cliff and tragically died. The first hole in the story coming through in a big way here. It seems that even though Jordan had decided that she didn't need to alert the authorities, she had leaked some of the story to someone, unable to keep her secrets to herself. On that date, Jordan also came forward with what she presented as a key piece of evidence that she provided to investigators. She presented an email that she had received from someone named CarmanTony607, and the email confirmed that Cody was indeed dead. The email read, quote, My name is Tony. There is no bother looking for Cody anymore. He is gone. I saw your post on Twitter and thought I would email you. He had come with some buddies and met up with me on Sunday night in Columbia Falls. He was saying he needed to be with his buddies for a bit and take them for a joyride. Three of the guys came back saying that they had gone for a ride in the woods somewhere and Cody had gotten out of the car and went for a little hike. And they are positive that he fell and he is dead, Jordan. I don't know who the guys were, but they took off. So, call off the missing persons report. Cody is gone, for sure. Tony. Unquote. 
Can you imagine the amount of naivety that was needed to even believe that something like this would work? Did Jordan actually believe that a little anonymous email that said that Cody was dead and that he had fallen to his death, possibly, was enough to call off a missing persons report? Did she genuinely believe that this would be all that was needed to stop the investigation? Obviously, it did not. It did, however, send officers out to Glacier National Park to start searching based on the contents of the email. Jordan did participate in the search, but it was said by witnesses that she seemed disinterested and distant. On July 11th, while starting that search, the police would interview a friend of Cody and Jordan who would only be known as K.M., and K.M. said that Jordan had been texting her recently, and she told her that she was having second thoughts about being married, and she was having issues within the marriage already. Jordan had told K.M. that she was about to talk to Cody about all of the issues that she was having. Hauntingly, the text message exchange ended with Jordan saying, quote, But dead serious, if you don't hear from me at all again tonight, something happened, unquote. While Jordan was out driving around Glacier National Park, she would stop driving at a secluded stretch of road that led to an overlook from atop the mountain. This is part of what is called the Loop in Glacier National Park. Jordan told friends that she had a feeling about this particular location, and she made her way up to a dangerous 200-foot cliff that overlooked a ravine down below. Witnesses would watch on as Jordan, suddenly inspired, would climb over jagged rocks and terrain that was not safe so that she could look over the cliff better and down into the ravine. As she looked over, Jordan would start yelling for help and say that she had indeed found a body at the bottom of the cliff. One of the park rangers that was on site and helping with the search said that it was rather strange to him that Jordan had been the person that found the body, especially in the way that she had found it. Jordan would say that it was a place that Cody had said he wanted to climb to and visit before he died. She said that he used to visit the area with his friends to air out their cars. On July 16th, Jordan would be brought in for a second interview with investigators because park rangers alerted them to the fact that it was pretty crazy that Jordan would go directly to the place where the body was found, and everyone believed by this point that perhaps Jordan knew a heck of a lot more about what had happened to Cody than she was letting on. Investigators also would come to find that the email that Jordan had presented to police from Tony had actually been typed up from a place that Jordan would have clearly had access to, her parents' house. When Jordan was confronted with all of this evidence that was mounting against her, she broke down and she admitted that she'd pushed Cody off of the cliff. She told investigators, quote, I just pushed. I wasn't thinking about where we were. Unquote. It came out also that the reason for a lot of the discord within the marriage was the fact that Jordan had found herself afraid to have sex after she got married, 
It seemed that after years of having her mind drilled with the rules that her parents and her church had drilled into her head, her anxiety was such that she couldn't wrap her head around doing something that she had seen as a sin for most of her life. However, with all of that said, she was apparently okay with trying to cover up murder. The new facts that Jordan presented to investigators were as follows. Jordan and Cody had hiked up to the loop on the 7th, and the two had started to have an argument near the ravine. And that was when Jordan said that Cody had grabbed her by the arm, and she had pushed away from him with both hands, which had caused him to stumble and fall off the 200-foot cliff. On July 18th, Jordan would also admit to police that she had lied about her husband's death and she had provided false statements. It would take them until September 9th for Jordan to officially be charged with second-degree murder, allowing for the fact that the murder was an accident and that it had happened in a fit of rage over the fight that Jordan alleged that the couple had had. Three days later, Jordan would be released from custody after it was deemed that she was not a flight risk and she was ordered to live under house arrest with her parents. Jordan would be indicted on October 3rd with a first-degree murder charge, a second-degree murder charge, and charges for making a false statement regarding the death of Cody Lee Johnson. The first-degree murder charge would carry a mandatory life sentence and was presented because prosecutors did in fact believe that they could prove that Jordan had premeditated Cody's murder. The second-degree murder charge was is for any form of murder without malice and premeditation. A second-degree murder charge carries a maximum sentence of life imprisonment. The trial would head to court on December 9th of 2013, and after four days of trial, Jordan would change her plea from not guilty to guilty, on the grounds that she would be found guilty of only one count of second-degree murder. The case was in the middle of being presented, but had not been submitted to the jury for deliberation before Jordan changed her plea and made that plea deal. After she made the plea deal and she read the memo regarding the case, Jordan tried to demand a new trial because the memo said that the prosecution believed that the murder was premeditated. She said that she believed that the agreement was hollow and that she wasn't actually getting anything from the deal. Her request for a new trial was denied. On March 27th of 2014, Jordan Graham was sentenced to 30 years in prison for killing her husband, who she had been married to for eight days. Judge Donald Malloy said in his sentencing that he did not see Jordan showing any remorse for the murder of Cody, and he also ordered that Jordan pay $17,000 as restitution. He also said that Jordan had lied repeatedly and wasted the time money, and efforts of many people. And that is where this case sits. This one's crazy for me because it does hit kind of close to home, like I said off the top. When I was younger, I was in a relationship for a short time and went through a lot of the things that I believe that Cody and Jordan would have been subjected to. The constant questions at church about marriage and children and just the disregard for the fact that two people need to have 
time and need to figure one another out before they rush into anything, especially marriage. I had those circumstances ruin a couple of relationships over the years, but certainly none of them ended due to murder, I can assure you. Another problem within the church is the fact that people are often told point-blank that divorce is not something that is allowed or looked well upon, and that things can always be patched up and things can always be worked out. One has to wonder if that mindset is also partially what crept in here. Perhaps Jordan believed that there was no path to divorce and that she was not happy, so she did need to take things into her own hands. I, for one... Do not believe the story that she accidentally pushed Cody, forgetting where they were. This was perhaps not premeditated, but it was very clear to me that Jordan admitted to mental health issues as well along the way, and in the end, whatever issues she had wound up costing a man that loved her dearly the rest of his life. Just absolutely disgusting, no matter how you look at this case. Imagine going your entire lives in the case of Jordan and Cody dreaming of falling in love, getting married, and starting a family only for all of that to end after eight days for Cody, and essentially the same for Jordan. 30 years in jail pretty much ensures that she won't be starting a family with anyone, and that she will spend all of her best years exactly where killers should be, behind bars in prison. I want to do a small public service announcement here for anyone listening that may be going through something like this. Don't ever let other people rush you into something as serious as marriage, and certainly don't allow anyone to tell you when you have or have not made a mistake and how you can deal with it. Only you are aware of what you can handle and what you're going through, and as such, only you can decide what is best for you. And in this case, what may be better for the other party involved. Heartbreak is very difficult to go through, but certainly doesn't come with the finality that homicide does. I try to stay away from religion here on the podcast as much as I can. However, in this case, it did need to come to the forefront. And like I said, it hits on a few things that I'm passionate about that I believe are wrong within churches that I have attended over my life. What say you? I'm going to open the social media lines and ask with this episode how you feel about this case and how much you believe that Christianity might have weighed in on this situation. Please come over to X, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, or Patreon and let me know how you feel. I imagine we could have some impassioned debate on this topic and this case. I look forward to hearing from you regarding this case and any of the other cases that we've covered. As well, please reach out if there's a case you believe I could cover here on the podcast and get some eyes and ears on. I'm always open to suggestions. Without further any further ado, I will wish you a good week, a wonderful holiday season, and of course, I hope and pray that each and every one of you out there is doing your part to make the world around you just a little bit better. Thank you for listening to the podcast, and I look forward to spending time with you again next week. Take care.